Hi, I'm Jonathan. I'm excited to share with you just a few highlights of how God has used us to impact lives this year. In April, we hosted approximately 150 leaders from around the country for our first Sexual Integrity Leadership Summit. And this event laid the foundation for what we hope will become a strong collaboration of leaders and ministries to equip local churches in championing God's design and purpose for sex in their communities. Future summits are already being planned and scheduled around the country. We're excited about that. And the new Grace-Based Recovery Small Group curriculum was released in August. Now this resource is designed to help people suffering from addiction and those close to them to understand God's grace and why it's the only path to true freedom. Monthly training webinars are being held to educate leaders on how to best use this curriculum. We also launched two new courses on our Pure Life Academy training platform. Made for Purity is a course to help men and women understand and apply God's design for sexuality in their lives. And this is a useful course for churches to generate healthy conversations around the topic of sexuality. Parenting for Purity is our comprehensive course for parents to engage their children from ages 5 to 18 on all kinds of issues related to sexuality. It's a great resource to help parents navigate this hyper-sexualized culture. As 2018 closes out, will you help us finish strong and start 2019 with positive momentum? Your partnership is vital to us fulfilling our mission to engage, equip, and expand the Christian pure sex leadership community. We really are better together. You can join with us at give.bebroken.com or just call 210-822-8201. Thanks so much for your time. May God bless you today. Keep pressing on. Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. We're glad to have you with us. My name is Jonathan, and we have back with us again, MJ Dennis. And so, MJ, welcome to the program again. Hi. Yeah, so MJ is a counselor in Austin, and she has been helping us unpack this idea of therapeutic separation. What happens when a, when a couple is maybe gotten to a point where they're just, they're really struggling to know what to do next. They're thinking about we don't know if we can stay together, but we don't maybe want to divorce. And just what does that look like? And this is an option then maybe for couples who are just struggling to know how can they maybe kind of get to a new normal, create a new baseline. What is, what is it going to look like to really heal and restore the relationship? So MJ, why don't you, for our new listeners, why don't you just introduce yourself again and let them know a little bit about what you do and kind of how you got into this work. Sure. Um, my name is MJ Dennis, and I'm a counselor in Austin, Texas. I work at Crossroads Counseling Associates. Um, I'm a licensed professional counselor. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm an ASECT certified sex therapist and an APSAT certified partner trauma specialist. You have more letters after your name that are in your name. I so, do. <laughs> how do you fit that on a business card? Uh, two lines. It takes up some space. <laughs> That's good. 
Well, I'd love for us to, uh, you know, we, we left our listeners in our last program with having an understanding of what a therapeutic separation is, this kind of counselor-guided time of separation to help a couple understand the things that they need to deal with individually, but then for the purpose of then coming back together. Um, and then we talked a little bit about, you know, what are the main reasons that, that a couple might go through a therapeutic separation. But now we want to get into, okay, what are the nuts and bolts? How does a couple actually go through this separation? So let's, let's unpack that. And just as a reminder for the listeners that were here last time, but if you're new, um, we're going to be providing a link to the outline of this talk about therapeutic separation. So there's a lot of great information here and it'll help you kind of unpack it. So if, if we get off on tangents or if you missed something that we said here, you'll be able to access this outline with the show notes that we have with the program. Yes. And there's so much to a therapeutic separation. It's not a quick process. Um, in some ways, I don't know how couples could do a really healthy separation without having a therapist or, or a, a team of people to help them manage this because there are so many things to talk about and things to think about. And really the goal here is separation for the purposes of reconciliation. Yeah. We really want to do it, do the separation well so the couple can come back together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I tell people, you know, part of, part of our story, my, mine and my wife's is, you know, we were separated for nine months, but it was not a therapeutic separation. It was, it was, my wife was leaving. She was gone. And so when we tell our story, a lot of times we have to tell people, Hey, this is our story. This is not a template for how you go about doing this. I mean, in, in many ways, I feel like uh, our whole ministry here is, is when I go tell my story, I'm like, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you all the ways that I got a bloody nose in hopes that it can help prevent you from getting the same kind of bloody nose I got along the way. So I do think that this is a great tool for couples that are feeling like they're stuck. They, in, in other words, they, they want to be well. So in other words, they're, they're not, I love what you said last time about how you draw kind of the in and out and how sometimes in any given moment in a day, these types of couples can feel like, well, I'm 40% in now, I'm 60% out, and 10 minutes later, mm -hmm. I'm 100% in, I'm 0% out. A few minutes later, I'm you know, all out. And, not, and, and just recognizing that this is a beautiful option for those couples that maybe have thought their only option is divorce or suffering. And it's like, right. this is kind of a good middle ground for helping them realize there's a way to go through this with the help of a counselor that can produce really great results for a whole new relationship with each other. Yes. Um, another visual that comes to mind, Jonathan, as you're talking is um, a pit. Um, sometimes it, it's almost like, like I'll draw a pit on my whiteboard and it, and it seems like sometimes my couples are just at the bottom of the pit and they keep tr trying to crawl out and they slide back down and they try to crawl out and they slide back down. And, and then in their despair and in this place of hopelessness of, I, we can't make this better. That sometimes is the place where couples will choose a therapeutic separation because it's, it's sometimes the last option before divorce. Yeah. And, it, and it's helpful too, don't you think, to have that, 
that the steadiness of that objective perspective of a therapist, because, you know, the therapist doesn't, is not entangled in, in all of the um, stressors and struggles and, and history of that relationship. They can bring an objective trained perspective to this. And in some ways that's, that can, that can kind of be an anchor for yes. a couple to feel like, okay, we have, we have kind of a, a, a home base. We have something that we can kind of tap into or plug into that isn't on the same, you know, wishy-washy back and forth every second, something's different that we're on right now. So let's talk about then the, the practical aspects. How do you do a therapeutic separation? Sure. Um, I love that you said that. I was thinking uh, a, a good therapist is going to be not necessarily a neutral party, but a really caring, engaged party who is there for the relationship. Yeah. And so I think when that, I think that's part of the what's needed to be able to do a therapeutic separation is that the couple needs to have a counselor and that they both feel safe with and they both feel cared for by um, and that they don't feel that the counselor aligns with one or the other, but they know that the counselor really cares for both of them and is there fighting for the relationship. You know, I know as a marriage and family therapist, sometimes I'm the only person in the room who's fighting for the relationship when I see couples giving up and, and they're hopeless and they're despairing. And I'm the cheerleader saying, okay, I'll hold this for you when you can't. Mm-hmm. And, and I've got you and, and let's keep going. And I'll, I'll have the gas in the tank when you're running on empty. That's good. That's great. So uh, how to do a therapeutic separation. Um, One of the first things that we talk about um, is whether the couple wants to do an in-home separation or a two-dwelling separation. Um, Sometimes couples really want to live separately and they can't afford it or it's just not It's just not doable for a list of reasons. Mm -hmm. And so um, there are different conversations around how the separation will look, um, depending on if it's one home or if it's two. Yeah. Now, how do you, how do you help a, a couple again, kind of being that, that objective party, (laughs) how do you help a couple determine which is going to be best for them? Because maybe you have one couple that, you know, maybe the husband's a cheapskate and he's like, no, nah, we're going to do this in the house. We don't need to, we don't, and they got plenty of money. To, and you probably think this is a couple that actually could benefit maybe from a few months of separate. How do you coach them through that? Oh, that's a layered question. Some of it has to do with conversations about their financial house. Some of it has to do with conversations about children Mm. Um, and support for the kids. Um, some of the conversation is about safety. Um, if there's if there's any kind of abuse, if there's any kind of domestic violence, um, very often the recommendation is a two home separation to really give the system a chance to calm down. Um, yeah. to, to help the person who is being abusive, they need some skills in emotional regulation and how to manage what happens inside them so that they aren't hurting their person. Um, 
So those are really the top things that come to mind. Yeah. Now, separation implies time, right? So how do you determine for a couple what that timeline is? Do you have even some guidelines as, as far as saying, hey, we would, we would never even recommend a separation beyond X amount of time? Or do you ha- kind of have some, some guidelines for that in terms of just the work you've done that you say, hey, generally speaking, you know, based on maybe where you are in the, in the difficulties, this is a good time frame for separation? Um, well, Jonathan, I think it's important to talk about the beginning, the middle, and the end, and have an idea of how long that might be. Um, we don't begin until we know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Right? We begin when um, we've talked about boundaries, and we've talked about expectations, and we've talked about care, and we've talked about communication. And we have to plan for this and have some at least a, a, a guideline, so to speak, of how to move forward through this. And so once there are, the, there are boundaries around this, then we can pick a start date. Um, sometimes I find my couples will, will figure out a timeline based on the lease. So if somebody's doing a, a two-home separation, um, couples will often, that I've worked with, um, we'll look at a six-month lease mm-hmm. um, with an option to rent month to month after that. And so the idea is let's let's be separated for six months. During that time, we're going to do these things. We're going to touch base this amount of times. We're going to have these kinds of communication. And then as it's getting close to the end of the lease, we need to do a reevaluation and see where we are. Mm-hmm. And if we determine we're not ready, that both of us aren't ready, right? Because it can't just be one person who's like, I want to move back in, and the other one says no, then the answer is no. Both parties have to be ready to move back in. And so we have to reevaluate and then make a decision. Do we need to do extend the lease? And then what are the goals for that extension period? I think there have to be benchmarks along the way so the couple knows if they're making progress and if they're staying on, um, in line with their intended outcomes. Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. What, what are some of the, the goals that need to be addressed? Uh, because obviously there's a therapeutic separation. It's guided. There needs to be some kind of intent here. So when you finally have that, you know, that plan together in terms of like, okay, here's the start date. This is what the initial lease, so to speak, is on this separation. Um, what, are the, what are the goals that are necessary for this couple to be addressing? And I know that the specifics can be different from couple to couple, but there's got to be some principles that guide this in terms of when you're talking about a couple that needs to to deal with issues, right? I mean, in other words, there's probably some general things that would apply to any couple that's going through a therapeutic separation. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's accurate. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of that three-legged stool. There's his goals, there are her goals, and then there are the couple's goals, mm-hmm. right? And that all three parts of those things need to be worked on. Um, For the person with the sex addiction, um, very often their goals are um, 
maintaining sobriety, working on understanding sobriety, keeping himself safe, um, um, staying engaged in a recovery, in his recovery, whether that's with a therapist or with a group or with a sponsor or all of those things. Um, and I would imagine that those goals need to be specific. Yes. And, and, you know, tied to some kind of, I mean, for lack of a better word, like a checklist, like, Hey, you know, we always, we always kind of, I'll always joke about, you know, the fact that I'm a recovering legalist, you know, and so it's always, you know, check your box, check your box. But the reality is there's a necessity for order in life. I mean, if, um, if our bodies were not constructed in such a way that there's very specific order, <laughs> then guess what? We're not going to, we won't look like we look and we certainly won't be alive. And so that I think is part of this too, is what you're saying is these goals they're not just somebody sitting in your office going, yeah, I'd like to be better. Yeah, it's like, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. They have to have some specificity to them, right? There's a lot of structure around a therapeutic separation. Um, sometimes my partners get really scared at the idea of separation. And they say, you know, if we are separated and he's not living under my roof, how do I know that he's not going to betray me? And if right. he's living somewhere else, then doesn't that just give him permission to just do whatever, you know, lean into his addiction and more betrayal will happen? No, that's not the goal. I mean, we go back to why do therapeutic separation. Part of it is so that the person with the addiction really can become responsible for their own sobriety and manage that. They've got to have, they got to build their autonomy muscles so they get really good at, um, managing their sobriety, they have to keep themselves safe and their partner safe. Right. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, talking for the person with the addiction, you know, what will, what will he do with his time when he's not living in the house? Mm. What's he going to do during, during the morning, during the afternoon, during the evening? Not that he needs to give a minute by minute accounting necessarily to his wife, but we have to have some structure around it. So when the, when the separation happens, initially when it first happens, um, it's not uncommon for the person with the addiction who's living away from their spouse to experience grief and depression and anxiety and a lot of fear. And so those things set somebody up to be vulnerable to acting out. Exactly, yeah. So the very separation that's designed to ultimately bring them back together at the very beginning, it's risky, it's shaky. And so we have to have lots and lots of safeguards in place and lots of support lined up so that, that this couple can be successful while separated. Yeah. So then what do some of the, what do some of the partner goals look like then? So you've got obviously this, this guy who's dealing with the sexual addiction, he's got to take ownership of his recovery and own his sobriety and, and work his program and those kind of things. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned some things that are some trigger points for him based on just the separation. But yeah. I'm assuming, too, the same is true in terms of trigger points for the partner, for the wife, who is also separated, because then it I can imagine her fears come up and some of her own anxieties and her own 
struggles. So how does she then kind of stay locked into whatever her goals are and what are some of those goals that she needs to have? Right. You bet. Um, I agree with you. Um, For as much as he needs structure and he needs a plan to maintain his sobriety, she needs structure. She needs a plan for how to move through her healing right? She has grief. She has trauma. She has betrayal. She has all of her woundedness. And so she needs a plan just as much as he does for her support, um, right? For her going to support groups, for her going to therapy, for her talking with her safe people, for her to lean into um, how to heal her own heart. Mm -hmm. Um, Very often sex addiction reveals um, childhood wounding, in both people. And so there's this woundedness that comes to the surface that has to be wrestled with. And so it's a great time when this, when the couple is separated that they lean into very often their recovery entails some family of origin healing. It entails some old trauma work as part of the current process for healing. And so she needs as much structure as he does. And then what does it look like for the couple? Because, you know, uh, my, I, I like to tell people that the, the old phrase when we talk about absence makes the heart grow fonder, I say is actually missing the two words of the original phrase, of others. So it actually says absence makes the heart grow fonder of others. So then, you know, when you're in a separation, there's also just that, if I can put it in these terms, danger of, hey, the more you are apart, the easier it is to be apart. So then what do some of these couple goals look like? Because obviously you, you said you don't start a therapeutic separation until you've got a plan. And that includes for the, uh, the husband, the wife, and the couple. So let's talk a little bit about what the couple goals look like and how do you, what kind of time frame, how do you move the, them through that? Because do couple goals start from the very beginning or is that something that moves a little later into the separation timeline? The couple, the couple goals start right away. Mm-hmm. Um, there has to be eyes on keeping the couple connected in the separation because otherwise, you know, it's not a diamond. It will become a V. They will yeah. move apart. And, and so um, we have to talk about communication. That's a really big part of this. What will the couple talk about? Um, what are the topics they're going to talk about? What's the frequency of communication? How will they communicate? Um, Initially, Jonathan, a lot of the communication is just about logistics. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially if they've got kids, right? We have kids. We have to talk about how to tag team and parent those kids and who's going to see them when and all the scheduling kinds of things. Um, But there has to be a plan um, for the couple to create intimacy right? Into me see. That means they have to have conversations about what they're thinking and they're feeling and what they're doing. And so while, you know, the first week there's a lot of conversation about logistics at week two, now we need to start talking, adding in a little bit of feelings conversations. And what I've seen with couples is that, um, that the feelings kinds of conversations take place in the therapist's office for the first, you know, for week two and week three. And then we start adding in right around week four, we start adding in um, dates. 
Mm -hmm. times for them to be together where we have some structure around how many minutes are you going to talk about, you know, uh, an emotionally laden conversation? And then what are the safe topics that we can talk about? Because the couple has to have some time, just a reprieve from the heaviness of the, of this, of these topics where they need to, to remember why yeah. they like each other. You know, it makes me think of, so when, when my wife and I were separating, again, this was not a therapeutic separation, but one of the things that was very therapeutic for my wife <laughs> during the separation was uh, one day my, uh, I think it was my mom and my sister sort of just kidnapped her for a day and took her out the movie and shopping and just, just a day of like, you leave your problems at home today and we're just going to go make it a, a fun day for you. And I think that's something that gets lost a lot of times in the heaviness of our burdens of our real struggles in our relationships. But we forget that, um, you know, I think of it, I think it's interesting that, that God wove into his creation, this idea of a Sabbath rest. Listen, one day every week you need to unplug you need to just rest. Your body needs it. Your mind needs it. Your soul needs it. And I think in, that's a good, th good rhythm to create in a therapeutic separation is recognizing, you know, if you are 100% constantly, every moment of every day, all of your energy is engaged on your problem in your relationship, you're going you're gonna to die. I mean, you're just yeah, going to completely be depleted. Yeah. So I think it's good that you've got that as part of there, that you need some, some dates that are not focused on, on as much as possible, not focused on the relationship stuff. You need some times individually where you just kind of self-care. But I'm, I'm curious about this communication. We've got about five minutes left. And I, I want to, because I think this is something that our listeners would really want to know about. It's like, okay, communication, that's part of the biggest struggle we have in our relationship that's why we got to this place we don't know how to talk he doesn't talk about emotions she doesn't share about whatever you know you can talk about communication being such a difficult thing how do you sort of what are the goals or the guidelines to communication in a separation because i listen i've been doing this for 15 years and i have seen how quickly any conversation about anything in a couple who is going through hell can turn into World War III and, you know, name calling and all kinds yeah. of things. So what are some of the general guidelines for how you help couples communicate through this therapeutic separation? Um, so one thing that comes to mind um, is um, teaching couples active listening. Um, I know that's not on the handout, but it's a skill that's so necessary. And in couples counseling, I work with my couples to learn how to listen and reflect to each other and check for understanding. And we practice that all throughout the separation. Well, and heck, all throughout the couples counseling, we, we yeah. learn about active listening. Um, specifically to the separation, um, one of the things that we need to talk about is um, the form of communication whether it's through texting or through phone or through emails. Um, and I help the couples decide what's the best fit for them and what kinds of conversations they're going to have over the phone, and what kinds of things will they say and won't they say. Like I've had some ladies who've said um, they want to hear from their husband, but they don't want to hear um, uh, terms of endearment. 
don't call me honey, don't call me baby, because right now I can't handle that. And yeah. so that's a, if that's a request, then we'll set a guideline around that and then check that in a month later. How do you feel about that? Is that something we want to change? Um, one of the things that's really important, I feel like I want to make sure I say this, is to talk about bookends, because I think this is very important during a separation, um, that couples bookend their days. And so first thing in the morning, if they are separated, that there is some kind of morning connection, whether it's a text or an email or a phone call, and then last thing at night, that there's some kind of communication at the end of the night, so you bookend your whole day. And then we have couples talk about what's the content of those bookends. What do we want to say? What don't we want to say? Hey, and by the way, I'd say to all the listeners out there, if you're, if you're married, that's a good rule. No matter no what. No matter where you are in your relationship, whether it's good or bad. It's like booking, bookending your day with a connection with your spouse is probably a good thing for your relationship. Yes. Yes. So I want to, to kind of land the plane here. So what happens at the end of a therapeutic separation? Obviously the goal is this diamond you were talking about is, is reconciliation coming back either under the same roof or into that, that time where they're not separated anymore. What does it look like to land that plane? And what happens if that reconnection just doesn't happen? So I'm, I'm, in coming back together, um, as we're coming to the end of the therapeutic separation period that we named at the beginning, and we're checking in to see, have, has the couple achieved the goals that they wanted to? Um, how are we doing there? Um, if the couple is de determines with the therapist, um, enough of the goals have been met. Sometimes it's not all of them, but enough of the goals have been met the system feels like it's not as overwhelming as it was. We know how to listen to each other more. We are managing our emotions and not as reactive. Um, intimacy is different now because by this point, um, there should be a lot more emotional connection and conversations right. that have happened exactly. during time and so now we start the plan of how do we move back in and this is also done with a lot of care and preparation um, it often with a two home separation it often coincides with the ending of the lease mm -hmm. um, so there's often a, I need to give notice at wherever I'm staying to let them know I'm moving out and that's part of the coming home process. If there are children, there's conversations with the kids um, about the reconciliation and the yeah. plan to move back in in a very appropriate kid sure. level amount. Yeah. Right? We don't give kids more information than they are able to hear or because of their maturity. Right. Yeah. Um, um, and then we talk about how to move things back into one dwelling. And there's often, um, uh, a lot of support in my office right around that period because like we talked about when the separation is happening, that's a real risky time for, um, for somebody with an addiction to get pulled to maybe act out. Well, again, coming back together, it's really stressful mm -hmm. and there can be a fear um, and anxiety. And so that's another vulnerable period. And so we want to make sure the couple has lots of support. 
um, through their therapeutic team and their safe family and friends um, to help the couple um, not feel alone, yeah. to feel heard and understood and make sure that they get into the therapy room so that we can talk about the bumps in the road and what's coming up. Well, this has been so good. We are actually out of time, but this has been so good. I'm glad we did this bonus episode just to try to unpack the nuts and bolts of how to actually go through this therapeutic separation. But thank you so much, MJ. And and let our listeners know again how they can connect with you or learn more about your counseling practice. Yes. um, I work at Crossroads Counseling Associates here in Austin, Texas. And our website is www.com crossroads-counseling.net. All right. And again, listeners, we are going to uh, post these uh, show notes so that you can have the outline of, of everything we talked about here with the therapeutic separation. And we hope this has benefited you. But MJ, thank you again for being with us. It's, it's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, listeners, we're always glad you're with us. We look forward to having you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.